Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Our sponsor for this podcast is Doida America Corporation. Today we are going to discuss the expanding scope of automation and the increasing recognition of HMI, or the human-machine interface, in terms of safety-critical train control interfaces. With me are Blake Kozal, CEO of Doida America Corporation, Kelly Nichols, Principal System Engineer and Project Engineering Lead, Collins Aerospace, Carolyn Johnson, Human Factors and Research Manager, Daedalus, Ryan McKinley, President and Safety Engineer, Vital Assurance, and Eileen Riley, CEO of Global Train Services, LLC. Blake, let's start with you. Tell us about Doida America and your work in this area. Well, thank you for having us first, Bill. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this topic is definitely a, uh, a technical uh, topic for sure, but I think it's something that, um, that anyone can understand uh, when you start to discuss it. So, um, what we're talking about today is safety relevant human machine interfaces, specifically for train control and for systems that are on board trains. Those systems are already themselves safety critical. So today's discussion is about extending uh, the safety relevance, if you will, to the actual devices, and the design of the devices uh, that are used to interface the system with a human operator. Uh, as you know, I, I have spent a lot of my career going back and forth uh, between North America and Europe, including having lived in Europe for a number of years. Um, yeah, there are some differences in environment. Europe is a little bit more rigidly structured in terms of safety, uh, where the U.S. is a little bit uh, more pragmatic and collaborative in terms of the relationship between suppliers and end users and regulators. So Europe has defined in the framework of the European Train Control System, ETCS, uh, certain safety relevant requirements on the HMI devices utilized for train control. And ETCS is one of the largest uh, rail standardizations in history. It's used um, outside of Europe as well as in Europe. Um, it's a global system. And the interfaces and the functional requirements for the system are publicly available. So Europe has decided that certain HMI functionalities need to be considered safety relevant. And the discussion uh, that we have today and the article that was recently published is really an analysis of how um, these sort of requirements uh, are applicable to the North American market. So what we're really talking about here is uh, we're uh, expanding the of automation and increasing uh, recognition of what you call HMI, again, human machine interface uh, criticality. So there, there are a few uh, relevant points here. I would say probably one of the most important is uh, the automotive industrial automation and, and aviation. Uh, it seems to be a term trend progressing quickly around the globe. So rail starting to pick it up more recently. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say that there's a general move towards uh, safety relevance and consideration of safety relevance in human machine interfaces. And uh, that's sort of uh, cross industry uh, 
many ways. The there's a um, two two factors in that. One is really the technical safety of the device, and another closely related factor is uh, you know the design of the applications on those devices, the cognitive uh, ergonomics or the human factors, if you will. But I think in general. Uh, systems over time become more complex. And as systems become more complex, you introduce uh, additional potential for uh, operator uh, failures or mistakes or system uh, errors. And this is a trend that's seen sort of across the industries now, including the ones you've mentioned in uh, industrial automation uh, and in the automotive world. So, Basically, if a, if a system is a safety-relevant system and it's interfacing to a human operator um, and you have the capability of making that interface a safe one, uh, why would you not do this? Kelly Nichols from Collins. Uh... I, I categorize them. There's four categories. Uh, I would start off with uh, traditional discrete HMIs where each indication that is displayed to the operator is an individual vital or non-vital, when I say vital, I mean safety-oriented, safe, fail-safe design, uh, the outputs that can employ filament uh, or segment checks to increase the vitality of the displays. The second one are, are what I call custom PC HMIs. And these where each function is a different discrete hardware or device series of hardware devices, i.e. LEDs for speed readouts or discrete indications, usually a combination of vital and non-vital output drivers. Uh, the next one are communication-based, and these are, would be uh, CAN, RS-232, RS-485, Ethernet-based communications more uh, recently, and they're usually considered non-vital due to the false indication hazard that uh, drives higher cost designs for these vital protocols in the HMI. And lastly is, I would say, display technology. As we went to flat screen TVs, we're into flat screens on uh, train control as well. Capacitive or resistive touch displays, software controlled soft keys. These again are usually considered non-vital devices due to the false indication hazards that are traditionally related to these type of devices. What's the key difference between, uh, as far as an HMI, uh, uh, a vital and a non-vital display? Generally, vital displays are considered fail-safe. In other words, if they go off, generally, they're in the, in the safe state. It's difficult to get a, an aspect display to be vital in the sense that a no aspect display is considered stop the train in most cases. Uh, and that would be what you see on your wayside. If you've got a dark indication, you're gonna be safe to stop the train and not proceed any, any longer. We mimic that on board the train uh, with those same types of devices. The difficulty gets in when you're trying to display a speed limit for instance, 40 miles an hour, how do I know that 40 miles an hour is actually displayed? Uh, you can do filament checks or segment checks on the individual LEDs, but that's about as low as you can go to determine. And as the displays get more complex, the digital 
dials and other types of displays get a lot harder to verify that you're actually displaying what you intended to display. Proposals for, for these types of systems can be very, very competitive. Can you expand upon that a bit? It's kind of what you get, what you pay for. Uh, a simple display is going to give you simple readouts as the displays become more complex and you want to display uh, diagnostic information, actual speed versus target speed, and, and you add more things to the display to get higher levels of human machine interface, um, trying to decipher those to verify are you putting out the right information drives up the cost of the devices, both in a hardware sense and a software sense, because the hardware does what it does and the software is trying to verify and check along the backside to verify where these things are coming from. And in general, those, those things get more and more expensive as you add features to the system. How how things changed uh, with, with this, just as far as what uh, what Kelly was just uh, describing. There's some, you know, historical context, but but what what's the current state of affairs? Yeah, I think what uh, Kelly's describing is, you know, the the as you said, the historical way that this was done from the beginning of the introduction of cap signaling ADUs into locomotives when you had uh, maybe incandescent lights or individual LCD light arrays. Um, and of course we don't do that anymore, or most, mostly we don't. Uh, so uh, technology has uh, advanced uh, quite a bit. So the systems now uh, do not require any sort of discrete wiring or hardware solution. Uh, the cost increase to go from a non-safety relevant to a safety relevant uh, device is, is really incremental and uh, pretty small as a part of the system deployment. Um, so the, the products that you see deployed in Europe generally have a safety integrity level of two or three, and that's with a full uh, LED TFT type display. And there'll be different requirements for safety on the display information coming from the machine to the human. Uh, and and different requirements on safety for input from the human uh, to the machine. So in many cases, touch, uh, touch screen technology. Um, so this is now all available and sort of solved for you in a lot of ways in the uh, safety relevant HMI devices that are available in the marketplace and obviates uh, some of that complexity and most of the cost that uh, Kelly was referring to. Just from cab rides over the years, uh, during my, my 30 years, you know, being on the Northeast Corridor, and you go back to the original, the, the Pennsylvania Railroad, three position lights, either horizontal or vertical or, or at an angle, all the way up to a, uh, what they're doing now with a, they've moved to a nine aspect uh, on, on the corridor on their version of PTC. Uh, and I see some of the newer displays, they're actually liquid crystal diode and, and it looks like a speedometer and bands going around, uh, going around the display that show, that show basically if you're in overspeed condition, so on and so forth. Let's uh, pick up with Daedalus. Carolyn, in your role as a human factors and research manager, you're, you're looking at things like distraction due to visual clutter, uh, something called salience attributes. There are minor cognitive factors here. 
Yeah, I'm a cognitive psychologist and my expertise is in human information processing. And that allows me to understand how users are going to react when they're presented with a product or an interface. So I do a fair bit of user experience design, but I also do human factors analyses for a lot of different systems, including some railroad systems. I typically don't see the catastrophic human factors issues. Those are the ones that will cause a user to utterly and completely fail at whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Those are pretty easy to detect and they're usually caught on an interface before it comes to me. What I tend to see are those smaller usability issues. They're harder to detect because if you watch your user interacting with a system, they still generally tend to accomplish whatever it is that they're trying to do. But you'll see mistakes that are self-corrected and you'll see confusion and some hesitation on the part of your user. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these smaller human factors issues are often dismissed but they actually add up and cumulatively the end result is reduced performance, delayed responses, increased cognitive workload for your operator and in some of these safety critical situations, disruptions to situational awareness. One of the points, be consistent with color use and always use red, yellow and green and with cultural conventions. When you use color, generally it has one of two uses. You're categorizing something or you're drawing the user's attention to it. And when you do use colors, particularly red, yellow, and green, you should always use those in line with cultural conventions. So green, at least in Western cultures, means go or safe or that everything is operating normally. Red means stop or danger. It's a warning that a bad thing may soon happen. And yellow is a cautionary color. It means go slow or be alert. But I've seen interfaces that have used red and green as borders to group information in a display where no meaning was intended by the use of those colors. But the problem is that even if you don't assign meaning to those colors, your user's going to try to figure out what they mean and they'll waste time and mental energy trying to figure out what the colors mean. Once they realize they don't mean anything, they'll try to ignore them but using those colors as a border could also prevent your user from quickly seeing when something else, like an alarm indicator, changes color. Or anything that kind of makes your user have to stop and think about what something means is going to slow down responses. Ryan McKinley from Vital Assurance, uh, we're going to ask you to, uh, uh, to pick that up because, uh, you know, how does, how does this... Um, translate to uh, positive train control? What are the actual hazards associated with HMI functionality? Well, yeah, you know, I look at this from the safety engineering hazard analysis perspective, um, really can classify, you know, and, and uh, Blake alluded to this a little bit before, kind of two categories um, of hazards. Uh, you know, there, there's, when you have a display, there's, there's actual display to human interface right so status information you know what is the display telling you so that could be things like uh, speed information right so maybe if the display is incorrect you could have incorrect speed information you know what your actual speed is uh, even speed limit you know maximum speed information if that's wrongly displayed uh, you know typically that would be you'd have the automatic train protection that would mitigate some of those things you know it'd be in the background and if if there were um, incorrect if there was incorrect speed information there, uh, you would you would break the automatic train protection would break. But um, you know, 
information. The display has information on movement authorities, uh, bulletins, um, operating mode information. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these advanced train control systems uh, allow different levels of operator interaction and different levels of automatic train protection. So, uh, in, in the fully automated mode, you know, and with some CBTC systems, for example, the trains are, you know, basically driving themselves with automatic train protection in the background. Um, there's, you know, kind of a mid-level mode where you, the operator's uh, driving the train and and uh, you have the automatic train protection in the background and then there's full manual. And so these displays provide information on the operating mode. And obviously if that's incorrect, the operator may think he's under a protected mode when he's not. Um, he may not have proper understanding of the mode. Um, there's also with uh, some positive train control systems, there's consist data. So, you know, what uh, the, the train length, the train type, um, the, the locomotive count, those sorts of things need to be properly configured. Um, and, you know, in many cases, the train crew is responsible for uh, verifying that information if it comes from the back office or possibly even in some cases editing that information. So. Again, the display is important. Um, uh, you you want to make sure that information is accurate and inaccurately displayed to the, the train crew. Um, and then the other kind of category is they're, they're not just displays, right? They're also inputs. So the, the um, train crew is um, providing commands, you know, command inputs, uh, entering data in some cases. So the in some cases you have a touchscreen display. Um, or sometimes you may have function keys, right, with the display. So there's um, just as with any sort of um, operator input uh, control, you know, if you think of a, a standard hardwired push button or a selector switch or something, those can fail and so can uh, a, a display, you know, an LED display or something. Like that. I'm not necessarily an expert in how those displays fail, um, but, you know, there's obviously opportunity for um, for failure as far as um, you know that it, it miss, missing input information typically isn't as uh, hazardous you know because most systems would be um, designed to uh, compensate for a lack of operator input but the real more hazardous uh, sort of situation is if you have incorrect input right or an input that shows up that the operator didn't intend for there to, to be um, so this can come into play um, for example, as I mentioned before, consist information. If you're if you're entering, or or if uh, incorrect input information gets in regarding the train consist, uh, that could affect your braking algorithms, right? So um, that could obviously present an issue. Um, there's uh, some railroads use contingent authorities, so after arrival authorities, where you're relying on the train crew uh, to uh, report train location information. So if if there's a, a a failure where um the display is indicating that a train has passed some dispatchable point or something when it actually hasn't you know a, a train could be potentially granted authority to move beyond uh, that point and create uh, potential for collision with another train um the, now these are typically thought of as you know there are in systems where there are these failure modes typically there are some mitigations built in but so Hopefully these are lower probability sorts of scenarios, but still these failure modes do exist and need to be mitigated. Um, I think, uh, you know, also you talk about work, work zone protection. Um, if a train 
uh, as, as a train is pulling up to a work zone, typically you'd require uh, permission from the employee in charge to enter the work zone. So sometimes that might be uh, indicated by you know the, the train crew pressing a button to indicate that they've received permission, thereby you know, telling the, the system that the train is okay to enter. So if that if there's a failure there in the display saying you know that permission has been received when it actually has not, you know that's that's another example. Um, so you know and and when you're talking about accidents, a lot of times you know you see accidents occur when in degraded operating scenarios, right? And and a lot of times there's multiple contributing factors. Um, so you know, in, in the example of PTC, uh, you may have a situation where maybe your uh, wayside computer is not working or the communications isn't working and you're relying on the train crew to enter information such as a switch position, right? As he pulls up to a switch, if, if it's not being communicated to the system, you may rely on the, the train crew to, to provide that. Or even um, as a train, uh, the onboard computer is coming online, maybe even some information on which if you don't have precise enough uh, location information, maybe they would be required to enter information on which track they're on, you know, because the, the GPS may not be able to tell two tracks next to each other which which of the two you're actually on. So, again, if that if the display were to introduce uh, some incorrect information there, it could potentially be hazardous. Eileen Riley, you have worked in the field on uh, positive train control. Can you give us some examples uh, of what you've come across uh, work, working on uh, on PTC, of course, on, on the Alaska Railroad? You were in charge of that project uh, to your, your consultancy now where you're, you're working with a lot of the, uh, the Class 2 and Class 3 railroads. The two hardest um, issues that we had to face were being able to see the screen because of glare and then in the nighttime being able to make sure that folks don't lose their night vision because it's really important to still be able to see that switch if you have to press the button and say what the position is or clear a uh, work zone. Um, so one of the large areas of concern has been for everybody that runs a night is make sure that you get a display how do you get a display that you can dim to an appropriate level that you can still see? And then how do you get a screen and in a position where you can cut that glare down? Because visual for these consist, conditional, error conditions is very important. You don't want people just to get used to pressing buttons without really seeing what they're pressing. You know, especially when buttons are right next to each other with diverging concerns. You know, you're doing two separate functions, and if you're really not seeing that dis display clearly, you get habit with them right next to each other, cause people to press the wrong button. That's probably the two areas that I focus on these days. People are learning the displays. You know, they're out there long enough. They're getting used to pretty much all the conditions. The system is built based on if you have a failure, you're gonna stop that train. But when you have error conditions, that's a whole different ballgame. You can't stop a train when somebody is not seeing clearly or pressing the correct buttons or the display is not showing. Those are areas that still PTC need to consider. So we've, uh, we've moved uh, in this industry, uh, uh, let's say from, from the, the, the engineer, the conductor in the cab, going back and forth on the radio with, with, with the dispatcher, for example, to ask for... Uh, uh, a, a track block or something or a maintenance away inspector 
radioed instructions and then you have to you know write write it down and verify it on a piece of paper and uh, and call it back and you know there, there's a lot of room for error and I think one of the one of the mistakes that um, uh, people make with this technology is that the newer technology is that they expect it to fix everything and totally eliminate errors and uh, uh, that's not going to happen unless uh, unless these uh, human machine uh, uh, considerations, what we're talking about today, are taken in, into effect. Maybe, maybe Carolyn, if you could um, uh, comment on that, uh, you know, the, the transition from paper-based uh, train orders and uh, radio and, and just verify verification to electronic, you know, what does that mean for our, our minds transitioning to that safely? Well, part of the issue with transitioning to things like computer-delivered authorities and other information is making sure that your crew is aware when those things are delivered. So making sure those changes are salient enough to draw the user's attention and also making sure that they're going to correctly interpret what those changes are. When you have voice communication and back and forth, if there's a misunderstanding about what the new authority is, it's pretty easy to identify and pretty easy to fix. When you're dealing with electronic delivery only, those sorts of miscommunications and misinterpretations aren't going to be as obvious. Okay, so we have uh, heard a lot about the next generation of uh, positive train control, PTC 2.0, getting more functionality out of PTC, building upon the, uh, uh, the existing communications platform, the bandwidth, getting more use out of it. Uh, Eileen, you've done quite a bit of work in, in this area. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on PTC 2.0 in terms of the human-machine uh, interface? I think as uh, time goes on and we continue to grow with PTC, some of these areas, conditional authorities, really need to be reconsidered. How can we do that type of authority without having to press buttons? It's a high risk area. Somebody incorrectly chooses either the wrong button or they see the wrong train go by. We need to eliminate those. Uh, and I. I think that's a large part of that HMI future growth. I'd really like to see displays that take into condition night and day, glare, and do a much better job on those. I think that will have an easier adoption for those people out in the field. They're able to see no matter what the condition, and they're able to set the display based on their particular conditions. The uh, track line has been helpful for some people but when you're in a complex ptc area you can get focused look trying to figure out what that track line is telling you so some thought has to in my mind has to go into how much of the track profile and line do we really want to see or how do we make it so that the, the trainman does not get fixed on what that is trying to tell them so those are some of the areas that i'd like that I hear from my customers on what they'd like to see with PTC in the future 2.0, whatever you want to call it. But we need to continue to progress the PTC so the machine interface, we don't want it to become rote, but we also want it to be, we don't want to fixate on the display in the office. They still need to look out the window as a training engineer to see what's coming ahead. You know, crossings are a, an area that 
still hasn't gotten better. As we all know, we still have train to car collisions or train to truck collisions or train to bus, worse yet, collisions. So finding a way to make sure that we don't focus on what's on the display, that we can look out the window is probably the next large focus area in my mind. And I think that would apply uh, to uh, regardless of what level of uh, uh, autonomy uh, uh, a modern freight locomotive will have a modern freight train operation. You know, you uh, attended autonomous, uh, which seems to be the way the industry is heading, at least to me. Uh, you, you, have a, you still have a person in the cab. You still have to have eyes and ears. Uh, in the cab, and um, so I think it would be uh, be a mistake for people to think that uh, uh, that automation is going to take over operation of the train. Uh, maybe in some circumstances it uh, uh, it could. And I'm not asking anybody here to comment on whether you think autonomous trains are a good idea. That's a very controversial subject. Okay, uh, but I lean to to your point. The eyes and ears have to be there. The displays have to be appropriate to ensure safe operations. And that's, that's the goal here, what we're talking about. Oh, well, one of my concerns as we move forward with adding additional functionality to PTC screens is that the more functionality you add and the more things that you add to that screen, it increases the amount of time that it's going to take for the user to focus on information and respond to that information which ends up doing exactly what Eileen had indicated, distracting the operators from what they're supposed to be doing, which is looking out that windshield. So as these new features and functions are added to PTC, it's even more vital to make sure that the interfaces are as simple and clear and as easily understood as possible. If there's too much there, it just becomes too, too distracting, it takes away from the, the purpose of operating the train safely. Would you agree? Definitely. I mean, designing error-free simplicity means evaluating every single demand on the user's attention. And that doesn't just include some of those functions, but even things like borders and backgrounds. So Eileen had mentioned some of these issues with when you're driving at nighttime. Well, if you have a white background on a black screen that's presenting black text, you're actually pulling the user's attention to the background instead of the text that they're supposed to be reading and you're interfering with their night vision. So there are a lot of these things related to the human perceptual systems and human cognition that need to be considered in the design of these screens. Blake, uh, this has been a very uh, interesting discussion here. There's a lot to consider. Uh, closing thoughts from you. Yeah, as time goes on, systems generally become more complex. Uh, as we've heard in the discussion today. And as systems become more complex, uh, considerations regarding the interface between humans and machines becomes more critical, uh, particularly with safety relevant systems. So it's clear that the current PTC system deployments uh, have made significant progress at reducing operational risk of railroads but optimizing safety and efficiency, of course, never stops. As railroads continue to further innovate, some of the improvements that we heard about today, functional advancements, um, different ideas will be deployed. And safety HMI technology combined with the continued consideration of human factors in design 
uh, can mitigate hazards, some of which are known, uh, some of which we may define in the future that don't exist yet until we expand functionalities. Uh, but we can mitigate those hazards and we can safely allow for expanded functionalities. So this is a proven technology and it's commercially available. Uh, there's thousands of units in service and in Europe, they define safety relevant HMI functions as necessary uh, for the ETCS deployments in order to meet their um, safety targets or their uh, hazard reduction targets. Um, and as mentioned earlier, many of the first train control HMIs in North America also included safety relevant functionality. Um, this has migrated away as technology has changed, uh, but technology has now caught up again to allow the same type of uh, safety relevant functionalities. So in many ways, these, uh, these innovations that we could deploy in the future um, have, have their roots in the past and have already been previously deployed uh, on freight railroads. Well, Blake, uh, thank you very much. And uh, we, uh, we thank uh, Doida America for, uh, for the sponsorship for this podcast. Thank you, Carolyn Johnson and Kelly Nichols, Ryan McKinley and Eileen Riley. And I'm sure we will be revisiting this subject uh, in, in the near future. Thanks everyone for joining us and uh, have a safe day. Thank you.